गुरुर् ब्रह्मा गुरुर्विष्णुर्गुरुदेव महेश्वर गुरु साक्षात्पार ब्रह्म तस्म श्री गुरवे नम आई बाव टू माय गुरु इन द इन्फिनिट आई बाव टू हिम इन ईच वन ऑफ यू वी टॉक्ड लास्ट टाइम अबाउट the importance on the spiritual path of obedience and we also said that obedience has to be given to somebody who is wise or it can also and this was a very interesting little point that we brought out you can give it to anybody as long as there is within yourself a sense of joy joyful willingness and that you give your actions not to that person but to god in other words whatever you are asked if you do it joyfully and willingly for god not for anyone but that but that one then you will see that that will strengthen your willpower also the beautiful thing about a true guru about my guru which is the example i know best he never imposed his will on anybody he had deep respect for everybody's freedom and he never said do this i order you to do that never he would rather you had to be on your toes because the things he asked you often he would put in such a way as almost to challenge you he wanted to give you the freedom to say yes i will do it of my will rather than oh master your will whatever you want and sort of becoming a slave not at all he wanted you to become strong in yourself but the interesting thing was and there's something i want to read from conversations with yogananda it is the saying 48 he he didn't as I, as i put it here the master did not belittle the importance of bringing the ego to heal often he even played with us so to speak to help us not to take the ego too seriously Once he and Dr. Lewis spent the night in a hotel. The next morning both of them with the master's encouragement went out of doors to practice the energization exercises. The layout of the hotel was such that these exercises would have to be done in full public view. Dr. Lewis was always the proper Bostonian and felt intensely sensitive to the social proprieties. it embarrassed him therefore to be doing anything so unusual in public the master took this opportunity to help him conquer his exaggerated sensitivity his way of doing so was to increase his embarrassment a policeman walked by on his beat the master ducked hastily behind a pillar as if anxious not to be seen the man glanced over but said nothing a few minutes later he returned Once again the master stepped hastily behind the pillar this time the policeman stopped his suspicions aroused what's going on here he demanded oh nothing officer nothing at all the master smiled winningly as if anxious to convince the policeman of his complete innocence we're just exercising see he repeated one or two move- movements as if in hope of a reprieve Well, growled the policeman, see that you don't get into trouble. Dr. Lewis, who'd been thinking he might die of shame, at last saw the fun of the situation and accepted it with good humor. 
Often he related this story later on to a delighted audience. Together they always laughed heartily. It was really quite charming to see how the Master would, would uh, train us to accept embarrassing situations. There was another one. I, I think it's worth reading. I wasn't going to read it to you, but I will. It's, uh, I've got to find it now, though. The master on one occasion also deliberately embarrassed another disciple, Bernard, for the same reason. Bernard was an SRF minister who, when I knew him, conducted services in the SRF church in Hollywood. Certain women in the congregation had been saying that they thought he would look well in a turban. The master made no comment on the point. He determined, however, to quiet this little ripple of interest before it grew to become a wave. A formal Indian gathering had been scheduled. For the event, the master dressed Bernard in a turban. He wound a long strip of cloth with great care on the disciple's head, arranging it in such a way, however, that although the turban managed to stay on, it would slip lopsidedly over one eye, then over the other eye, then manage always to look ridiculous. Did Bernard enjoy the comedy as Dr. Lewis had? In fact, he never the, the fact that he never told me about it makes me suspect that he didn't relish it at all. He was the sort of person who might well have responded with Queen Victoria, we are not amused. It was an elderly nun who, gleefully but not unkindly, told me the story. There were many times Master played with our egos because he wanted us to become free. You never knew with him. Uh, it was not as if he was there teaching you all the time in words. Often his actions were, um, they, they were sort of demonstrations or they were intended to draw something out of you. For example, mind you, a master, he had no fear of anything. But one time he asked one of the disciples, there was a spider in the kitchen, and he acted as if he was afraid. He had, he had absolutely no ego, and he didn't mind think if the disciple wanted to think he was afraid, let it be. So he acted like this, and when uh, the disciple came to pick up the spider, Master backed away as if, oh, be careful. And fortunately, the disciple saw the joke. Master did play with us. It was great fun to see how he played. In this case, he tried to, to uh, uh, test the disciple to see if he would really uh, understand that this was all just a game. And of course, the disciple knew. I mean, the master faced a tiger in the forest outside Ranchi, and just looked at it with love, and the tiger was completely converted, rolled over on its belly and let Master stroke its, its belly for a bit, and then walked off into the forest. A spider, what was that? But his acting, a lot of his training wasn't verbal. It was by expressions, and a lot of the expressions were such as to bring things out of people. He was an extraordinary case of somebody who was a, a flawless mirror to 
whoever we were, whatever we were going through. And I would see, sometimes people ask me, well, why did he show so much love to certain disciples? He had that love for everybody. But he could only show it to those who could reciprocate in kind. Others would have become egotistical. Others would have become proud. And so he had to treat people as they were. He had to bring them up gradually to a level where they could respond on his level of love. Now, when you go to a guru, don't make the mistake, a true guru, don't make the mistake of seeing him as a human person. Master told me, for example, um, that he loved to cook for people because it was a way of serving them. Well, I met somebody who had roomed with him in Boston many, many years before, and he said that uh, Yogananda, that's what he called him, he used to come down and cook for people, and he loved to cook, he just loved to cook. I thought it was so ridiculous to think of this great master's loving to cook. No, but he did love to serve people as he could. This great soul was seen in so many different aspects by people, always according to who they were. They, if they had no understanding, saw him as a human being. But those of us who understood something of what he was, those of us who had some relationship to that uh, reality of the divine within him, it was very difficult to think of him even as a human being. Because I never really saw any human reaction in him. I never saw any likes or dislikes. I never saw pleasure or displeasure. When he acted displeased, it was never with any feeling of displeasure. There's a lovely story about one time that's in my book, The Path, how uh, another disciple, Gene Haupt, was sitting up in the third floor interview room, and there was a woman disciple whom he was disciplining, and he was talking very as if great anger, shouting at this woman. But every time he turned his back to her and had, it was facing this male, this, this monk there, uh, brother disciple, he would stop, uh, he would sort of wink and smile a little bit and turn back ferociously again. It was all an act. It was extraordinary to see how uh, much of an actor he could be, and yet there was always the thought that he would act according to what was needed at the time. And it was quite instinctive. There wasn't as if, there was nothing premeditated about it, but that which you, uh, as Ananda Moima used to say, I'm like a drum. As you beat me, so I sound. That was what he was like too. As you were toward him, as you were in yourself, that's what he became. And so, uh, in the presence of uh, different disciples, he somehow even looked like those disciples, and yet he was himself. His physical nature didn't change. His body was the same. It somehow he looked like that person. I remember this one woman, the wife of a man to whom he'd shown particular favors. And the woman was sort of presuming with a little ego there. And Master looked at her calmly. He didn't look disapprovingly. But I could see that he was 
her own higher self. He was the God within each one of us, looking down at the ego and either approvingly or disapprovingly, according to what we were manifesting. He told us, I, I go through your thoughts every night. And, you know, at, at night, when you dream, you sort of show uh, your inner nature. You can, the, the, you, say that, you can say that the lid has been taken off and you can become very angry or very uh, desirable or whatever it might be. He could help at that point to correct things in you. And so he would go through people's thoughts at night and work on them from within to help gradually change their thoughts. This is the kind of thing that worldly teachers can't do. Ordinary teachers can't do. He got into your own consciousness and changed it from inside. And so it was that living with him for a while, you began to find qualities in yourself that suddenly they were sort of dropping off. And you became gradually a very different person. When I came to him, I was in a way, of course, I've always been me. You never stop being you. But there are different dimensions of you. And more and more I found that the old self was dropping off and I just couldn't even think of it anymore. It just wasn't me anymore. Yet, I was always me in another sense. It was on another and a higher level that that, that uh, inner consciousness was coming out. I can't, I can't begin to say, I can only repeat what Shankaracharya said, that in the three worlds there is no blessing equal to that of a God-known guru. The greatest blessing one can have but mind you, you can't go to a guru and say, I'm your disciple. You must be accepted. And because our guru is no longer living in the physical body, still that acceptance can come inside. I myself am just, I'm just a, I'm a nothing, a nobody. I am here to help bring him to you. I said to him one time, when, I, when you were gone, will you be as much with us as you are now? And with a slight emphasis, he said, to those who think me near, I will be near. And I have seen that, yes, he is true. He is there. And yes, it is true that he works through us disciples. He has to do that, too. He doesn't do it through in a vacuum. But through us, to the extent that I am able, to the extent that you allow him to, he can bring blessings, he can change you. This I have seen, that even though he passed away more than 50 years ago, people who come, their lives are changed. They're becoming different people. That magnetism doesn't depend on a body. It does depend on instruments to the extent that, that uh, those who are in tune can, be, can transmit more than those who are not. Yes. But it is true also that he is, his is the power he was one of those great ones who came into this world and have come again and again for God knows how many thousands of years to help uplift the human race. Remember that his goal is not to make you a slave, it's to make you strong in yourself. And so his very theme song you might be, 
is one that I wrote in a song, Go on alone, go on alone. What, if you understand what is right, don't worry about worldly opinions. Do what is right for you. Go on alone. Ek la cholo, as Rabindranath Tagore said it, and as my Gurudev's guru said, Satsanga's boat is calling, who'll go, who'll go? If no one else will go, I will go. Have that courage. You are a child of God, and the guru's purpose is to help to make you understand that you and that one are one. Joy to you. Walk like a man Even though you walk alone Why court approval Once the road is known Let come who will But if they all turn home The goal still awaits you Oh